Hey, Real Life Church, give me a wave if you can hear me. If you've not met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Very warm welcome to you. I hope you're doing great in this second lockdown season we find ourselves in. Ours has been a little bit strange uh, of the last couple of weeks because our eldest son, Levi, wasn't at school. Uh, there was a someone in uh, one of the adults in the school got tested positive for COVID. And so the whole of his year group had to come home. So we had him inside the house here for two weeks uh, and he wasn't allowed out unless it was in the back garden um, which was interesting so suddenly we had to go back to home learning and um, on last Friday evening I decided to take him for a design technology lesson and we went outside and we built our trampoline which had been disassembled in our move we've moved recently and it was now necessary to build it because it would be a form of exercise for him while he's stuck at home and so we got all the bits out laid them out on the uh, the garden and um, Levi basically built it himself under kind of a bit of supervision. He did a fantastic job. We built the frame, we put the legs on, we stretched the bed of the trampoline out and then we had to put the poles on to put the netting round and make it um, all kind of safe and ready to bounce on. And we had a fantastic afternoon. But the bit interesting that took the longest of the whole process of building the trampoline was getting the legs on and getting them right because we realized that this is going to be up for a long time. We're going to be bouncing on it, myself, Levi, my other son, Ash. We all go on there together and basically it turns into Thunderdome and we basically go for it on there. So I thought it's got to be solid on what it's standing. So we had to move it around to make sure it was flat. We had to get the legs on the right way to make sure it was firm because we turned out when we built it the first time, the legs didn't look right. We put one set on the round the wrong way. So if we're going to bounce on this. This wasn't going to work. And so we took a long time just to get it right, to make sure the foundations were firm, make sure it was standing square before we put all the other bits together. Because if you didn't do that, the rest wouldn't matter. It just wouldn't work. It could become dangerous to us as we play on it. We might not be able to use it. And that principle of getting everything right on your foundations is what we're going to be looking at today. It's in the parable that Dean just read to us. And the question kind of that this parable brings out to us all today is what are you building your life on? What are you building your life on? Now, if you're new to us, haven't been here before, we've been going through a series called uh, The Stories Jesus Told based on some of his parables that we find in the gospel. And we find that a parable is a little story with a big idea. It contains a deep spiritual truth in what on the surface could be a very simple story. And uh, what we've gone is we've gone through a whole bunch of them. If you've missed them, you can catch up online on our website. And we've been looking at now a series basically all about parables of wisdom. And we've looked a few weeks ago, we looked about being wise about Jesus' return. We've looked about wise in what we invest in our future. And last week, Matt looked about being wise in our use of money. And what we're going to do look today is another thing about wisdom uh, as opposed to folly. And the big idea of today's sermon is if you build on God's word, you are wise and you will weather the storms of life. If you build on God's word, you are wise and you will weather the storms of life. Now, the passage we had read was kind of the tail end of chapter six from Luke's gospel. And if you just scan back in your Bible, look back over the previous few verses, you find a number of things there. You find Jesus appointing his 12 disciples. If you're familiar with them, they're appointed at the beginning of chapter six. We see a great crowd gathers because Jesus is gathering a crowd and he heals many of them. He casts out some unclean spirits. Then it says 
he stands and he teaches the crowd. And then what we've got here in Luke's gospel is similar to what you find in Matthew's gospel. There's a famous piece of Matthew's gospel called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is basically Luke's version of the same thing. So we find Jesus teaching there all the way through. And it's got things about the blessings and woes of life, about loving your enemy, judging others, about tree bearing good fruit. And then he finishes all his block of teaching with this parable. And it goes to the heart of what he's trying to get across to um, his hearers um, as he's speaking to them. So if you've got your Bible, let's just go through these few verses and kind of pick out some stuff for us to, to learn and then we'll apply it um, at the end. So the first thing, now Jesus, like any good teacher here, he actually begins by telling people what he wants to teach them. Before he actually gets into the parable itself, he says, he says that first verse, it says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And I remember I, my background as a school teacher, and I remember what we had to do at the beginning of a lesson, we had to write up on the board the objective, um, we call it the learning objective or something, and there would have to be a, a line on the board, this is what we're trying to learn today, and this is, and this is what we're trying to achieve. And Jesus kind of starts out by saying that then, he's saying there's a point here I want you to get across, it's, why are you calling me Lord and then not doing what I tell you? And the crowd who have gathered, who've been listening to him, who've seen him cast out miracles, he's pointed his 12 disciples, refer to him as Lord. And this is a title of respect for Jesus, a title of honour. It's also a word that talks of allegiance and commitment and obedience to the individual, because if they are your Lord, that kind of requires something of you as you follow them. If they are going to be your Lord, you're going to follow them and listen to them and do what they say. And he says simply, you're calling me Lord, but you're not doing what I told you. This whole idea of lordship is passing you by. And that word Lord has been used twice in the gospel up till now. There was the incident with Peter in chapter five, where we have the miraculous catch of fish and Peter sees it and all these fish coming into the boat and Jesus performed this miracle and he falls down on his knees and he says to Jesus, he says, get away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. When kind of confronted with who Jesus is as God, the son on earth, he realizes what a sinner he is and he calls him Lord. He recognizes who he is. And later in the same chapter, we have another character, the, the man with leprosy, who also calls Jesus Lord because he wants to be healed. So he recognized Jesus, your Lord, you have power, you have authority. Can you heal me of my leprosy? And so we have the same, the same crowd here using the same word, trying to call him Lord. And Jesus saying, but you're not doing what I tell you. You're not doing what I've asked. And that's a reference to kind of what's just come before in chapter six, all his teachings. He's saying, this is how you should live. This is how I want you to live. And they're basically ignoring that. And they're just kind of calling him Lord in a, in a sort of a superficial way. Like it's a nice title, but it doesn't mean anything. And then Jesus lands this on him. He says, anyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he's like. So he's trying to say that what I'm about to teach you is what it's like if you actually do do what I say. If you actually listen to me, if you obey me, if you, if you kind of grasp hold of my teaching and put it into practice, I'm now going to illustrate what that's like. And he starts by saying, everyone, and that's a sort of a general term for there's a whole crowd of people. So no one is left out, demonic background or, or gender or age. He says, no, everyone who comes to me. And that means that's a posture of humility and faith. If you're going to come to Jesus, you're coming to him in faith and trust. You're listening to him. You're wanting to learn from him. And anyone who does that hears my words and doesn't puts them into practice this is what it looks like and now we kind of get on to the, the parable the image that he gives um, 
its hearers. And the image is a very simple one of a person building a house. And we have a contrast in this parable because there's two men in this particular story and they're both building houses. And this is something that would have been a familiar image to all his hearers, there's nothing unusual about this, about people building homes and then living in them. And Jesus contrasts these two. And we find the same one in Matthew chapter seven, when at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So they're kind of similar accounts of Jesus teaching and using this image at the end. And Jesus describes in Matthew seven as a wise and a foolish man. Um, and so we'll go through them. So we have the first man. The first man, he comes and he builds a home and he's finding a suitable location for this home. And then it says he dug deep foundations. He dug deep foundations. Now, what would this mean? This would have been hard work. This would have been backbreaking work. This would have been work that required persistent effort over a long period of time to dig the foundations of the hand you have to dig down a long way there is an awful lot of earth to be moved to got out the holes have you ever seen foundations of buildings they go down deep and it says he laid the foundations of the building on the rock so he dug down deep enough so he got through all the topsoil to the kind of the hard bedrock underneath um, is what he's going to build on because he wants something solid. He wants this house he's going to build to last for a long time. So he's forward thinking. He's thinking about the future. This house is going to be here and be here for a while. I need to build down, build my foundations and make sure this house is strong and firm and stands. And then Jesus said, he said, the floods arose. Now, this is a reference to um, you wouldn't kind of build deliberately near somewhere flood, but in the culture, in the, the, the time, where it was very dry country and what would happen is the rains would come on suddenly and violently and because the land was dry and hard from the sun the water would hit the hills and basically run straight down it would hit the stream beds and they would rise rapidly and there would be flash floods all over the place where you wouldn't expect it. You think this is no, no, no worry, water's gonna come here, but this would come suddenly on. And Jesus talks about when the floods comes, there's almost an inevitability that something's gonna happen at some point to this house. And it says the house was well built because he dug down, because this man had taken time, he dug down, built the foundations, put everything on those firm foundations. It says the house was well built and it stood, withstood the flood. The waters would have come, hit it, and it would have stayed standing because it was well built. This man was wise on how he went about and built the house. Then Jesus contrasts this with a second man. It says, but, but underline that in your Bible, but, okay, we've got one guy who does it, it works. And it says, but, and it makes this, Jesus makes this person clear that he's actually someone who doesn't follow Jesus teaching. He's the other kind of individual. And it says he built a house, but without foundation. This man has taken no effort in what he's doing. He's got no forethought for the future. He's in Matthew's version, he just said he built it on sand, which is shifting and moving. It's not firm and solid. And so this guy's done the opposite of the first one. He's built this house with no care, no thought, very little effort, kind of an instant. I want it now. I want it done. It's job done. I can move on. But then Jesus says with the same inevitability, when the floods come, the streams rise, because the floods come for everyone, regardless of how you built your house. It says the house falls and it talks about coming to ruin, which is a 
picture of lost and devastation. So all this man had would have been kind of summed up in his house and everything in there. And it basically says it was destroyed by the flood. It was wrecked by the flood. The flood with waters would have come, knocked down the walls, collapsed the ceiling, and the result would have been a loss for everything. And it talks about the ruin was great. And so this is the kind of picture of the magnitude of the loss. The loss, this man lost everything he had, everything he had, everything he invested in, everything he'd given over. The flood came and completely wrecked it. And so Jesus is giving an image there. This is what it's like for people who hear my words and do them and people who hear my words and do not do them. And so what can we learn from this? What can we take away for us here now? Well, there's three things I want us to think about and then we'll try and apply them uh, to our lives. The first one is that Jesus' words are for everyone. Jesus' words are for everyone. It says in the passage, it's, Jesus said, everyone who comes to me and hear my, hears my words and does them. So Jesus is saying that his words are relevant for all people. His words are relevant and important for all people. It's not something that is just reserved for church people or people who think they're good or writers is actually for all people in all times and all places regardless of age or gender or ethnicity or nationality or language or tribe or income or education or political views or religion or no religion it's for everyone when Jesus speaks his words are important for everyone to take on board and they're words that need to be heard by all. They're words that need to be heard by all. And the reason for this is because Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus is who the Bible teaches he is. He is God the Son come to earth. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is Israel's Messiah. He is Savior, Lord, and King. And so when he comes and he speaks, his works cover everything. Because the Bible says everything was created through him. So that's all peoples and tribes and language, no matter how far they are away from us right here now, Jesus' words are, re are relevant for them because he is Lord of all. And which is great news, which means no matter who you are or where you come from or what your background is or what's going on in your life, Jesus is speaking to you here now. You can hear his words if you read the Bible and read what's written down and read what recorded for them. You can read them for yourself. You don't need to go to a guru or a shaman or a wise man or someone to kind of help me some self-help person the words of God are written down in his word the bible and you can read them and they are relevant for you and they are important for you because of the one who spoke them if you read through the gospels you find Jesus again and again referring to himself as God proclaiming himself as Israel's Messiah doing mighty words with healings and casting out and so when Jesus speaks his words are for everyone and they for everyone to take on board and everyone to listen to. And so no matter who you are now listening to this, Jesus' words are important to you and you need to respond to them. The second thing that we can learn from this is the floods are inevitable. The floods are inevitable. In that particular one, it talks about the floods and the streams rising in Matthew's version. It talks about kind of storms and wind and rain coming. They're all kind of pictures for the trials and troubles that come in this life. And the interesting thing is both men in the story faced the floods, both of them. It didn't matter 
how each of them lived. One, particularly, Jesus would highlight as someone who was wise and had obeyed his word and built a firm foundation. And the other one, foolish and didn't have a firm foundation. But actually, the flood came on both of them. Both of them endured hardship and trials and trouble in this life. And this could come in many forms. This could be something uh, we can have face driving troubles that are of our own making, things we've done that then come back on us, or they could be things outside of us that kind of just hit us through life. It's the kind of reality of living in a fallen world. And these trials, these floods that come could be financial. You could be facing financial pressure. They could be on your health uh, and, and something in your body that's not working. They can be emotional. Um, anxiety, uh, mental things that you're facing. They can be relational. You face relational breakdowns in your family and friendship group. They can come through your workplace, where you're working, your family. Even in the church, we face all these things, these trials and troubles. We all face it now, interesting, as a second national lockdown. No one's exempt. No one gets let off and it being okay. And Jesus makes it very clear that we are not exempt from hardships while we live in this world. We are not somehow free uh, from finding life difficult. In fact, Jesus tells us the opposite. He actually says, if you're a follower of me, if you're going to follow me, actually your hardships, your troubles will increase in this life. He says, take heart. Don't worry. I've overcome the world. I'll be with you. But actually you're going to find it tough and you're going to find it hard. And we often think we try and insulate ourselves, particularly in the West, where we have so many good things, so many things available to us for our comfort and our pleasure, that when trials and hardships come in, we can almost be kind of surprised. But Jesus says, don't be surprised. This is what should happen. And particularly what it means to follow me is a life of suffering and hardship. And not only do we face floods in this life, we actually all face the flood at the end of life, because the image of the flood is just taken straight out of Genesis, where we have the flood, Genesis 6, story of Noah, and the flood is a sign of God's judgment, which came upon the earth. And the reality is, all of us will face that judgment at some point, at the end of our lives, whether that could be soon or many, many years, decades off, we're all going to face it. So one day we will all face the great flood. And we will all have to stand before a holy God and give account for our life and all the things we've done where we've sinned and we haven't obeyed him, we haven't followed him. And so actually the flood is inevitable for all of us. The ones of this life that feel great, but in reality they aren't as big as the flood that's coming at the end of life when we have to stand before the judgment seat of God. The third thing we can learn for this is that only by building on Jesus' words will we know true security. Only by building on Jesus' words will we know true security. Against the floods of this life, we look for security in so many places. We think if we've got a good career, uh, with a good job that pays, we'll be all right because we'll have the income and we can pay the mortgage or the bills. We think if we've got some savings stacked up or a pension plan in place, we're going to be okay. We think if we've got our health and we're healthy and we're strong, we're active, we can solve most things that come to way. If we're smart and we've studied and we've got qualifications, we think we'll be all right. If we think we're young, we've got all our life ahead of, we think everything's going to be okay. We might put um, uh, in our politics and our views and think, well, actually, if I give myself to this cause and what is going on, it's going to be all right. Yet the reality is that none of them offer true 
peace and security and they have no true foundation. They really are just shifting sand. And all of them in any time, any place could be taken in just a moment. A single phone call, a single incident, and you can lose them. And Jesus is saying the only way that you can find true peace, true security to face those trials in this life and the one at the end is in his words and in him alone. Only he is the firm foundation on which we can build our lives. Only he, what he says about how we should live our life in this one and the next really matters, really counts, will really last. And when we face that judgment at the end, the great flood, there's only one person that we can trust in, only one person we can look to, because only one person has the words of eternal life. Only one person is the true Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and we should put our faith and trust in him. And those who choose not to, it says in that parable, it says their ruin will be great. It will be devastating to stand before a holy God and think you've trusted in yourself and what you can do, and you suddenly find out the house has just been not flat. So only in Jesus' words can we find true security. So number one there, it was Jesus' words are for everyone. The floods are inevitable, and only by building on Jesus' words will we know that true security. So what can we do about this? What can we do in response to this? And kind of the question that comes back to the one I asked at the beginning, what are you building your life on? What are you building your life on? We need to be building our life on the words of Jesus. He needs to be our Lord. Not a kind of a distant lip service. Oh yeah, Lord, Lord, like the people we read in the story, but actually in a deep life-changing way. We need to recognize that Jesus was who he said he was. That's why we obey him. That's why we listen to him, because we know that he is God, the son, the eternal one, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who loved us so much to come to earth, to draw us back into relationship with the father who died and rose again and took the punishment we deserve. He is the one that we trust and obey because he is the true one and only Lord. And so we need to do a couple of things. We need to respond to Jesus. We need to not just say, Lord, Lord, and then kind of shelve him off over there, leave him in a kind of a little manger in an nativity scene and think that's nice. I'll do my bit at this time of year. No, no. We need to come and we need to come to him repentance and faith. We need to turn from living our own way and put our trust in him as saviour and Lord. We need to know that he has changed our heart and he has the best way to live because he is the Lord over everything. He's the one who's created him. He is God eternal. We turn from living our own life and we follow him. If you're not a believer listening to this, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is what you need to do. You need to put your faith and trust in him. You need to recognize that you haven't done so. You realize to recognize that you've been living your own life, your way, and you need to put that down. You need to turn away. You need to call out to Jesus as the Lord, the Lord, the only one who can save you from the great flood that is coming when one day you will stand before an eternal God. And that then needs to become a lifestyle, a daily thing that we work out bit by bit. And for the rest of us, I know many of you listening to this now, myself included, we're believers, we say we're followers of Jesus, we love him. So what does this mean for us? Well, it's just another reminder that we need to be building our lives on what Jesus has said. 
Because even though we've made the commitment, the temptation is to just say, Lord, Lord, and then go and do what we want. Just like the parable of the sower, which was the first parable that we looked at in this series. It separates the disciples from the crowd. The seed goes out to everyone, but only those who goes down into good soil reap a harvest. And so my challenge is to us, to you listening to that, is what are you building your life on? Are you following the latest fads, the latest craze, the latest thing over here, this over there? Or are you building it on the word of God? Are you seeking to accumulate more and more and more in this life? Or are you living with your eyes on the next one? And as followers of Jesus, the evidence of our past repentance and faith is current obedience. And so how do you know if someone's a Christian, how do you know? If they've made that commitment, how do you know if they've been born again, turned, turned away and followed Jesus? The evidence of what they did, it could be one year ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, is how they're living now. So the question is, how are you living now? How are you responding to Jesus today, yesterday, tomorrow? How are you doing that? Are you building your life on his words? What could that look like for us today? Here's a few things I'll throw out to you to help you kind of calibrate this now. Are you spending time in God's word? Are you reading it? Are you asking the Holy Spirit to guide you through it? Is that part of what you're doing? Because my, my suggestion to you tonight, that if you're not, you're in danger of being like the crowd. You say, Lord, Lord, and then going and doing whatever you want. How do you know what God wants you to do? How do you know what he's saying to you? It's because you're reading his word. You're getting it into daily. You're, you're studying it, you're looking at you, you've built some kind of structure, routine, rhythm of life where you can get into God's word. For me, I'm currently reading through the book of 1 Kings, kind of got to the end of sort of Solomon's reign. It's been fascinating, but I just read a bit every day, take some notes, trying to keep it kind of what God's saying to me, keep it going. Maybe you haven't got, you don't know where to start, how, how about this as a suggestion? Grab a gospel, doesn't matter which one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, pick one. Maybe Luke, because we're looking at that tonight. Read it, read a chapter a day, and why don't you mark in your Bible, write down a notepad, everything Jesus told his followers to do. Make that just a study. Let's go through and see what Jesus actually said. What did he tell us to do? What did he tell me to do? And then start going about doing it. That would be a great way to start. What about a few other things? That if we're going to follow Jesus' word and do what he said and build our life on what he said, how about getting baptised? Jesus was pretty clear about that. Repent and be baptized. All the followers after that, the early church, that's what they prayed. Jesus demonstrated himself. He got baptized. Then he told his followers, you go and tell everyone else to do the same. Be baptized. If you haven't been baptized and you're a follower of Jesus, I'm suggesting to you, why aren't you doing what he told you? Why aren't you doing what he told you? If you know you're in that situation, come talk to us. We'd love to talk to us. We will work something out, even socially distanced like this. We'll get something done. If you want to get baptized, we can sort that out. What about your views on sin? Things God would tell you not to do, missing the mark, falling short of his standard. As followers of Jesus, we should pursue holiness, pursue what God wants us to do, and we flee from things he doesn't want us to do. What is your attitude there? Are there things you're doing now that you know aren't wrong and aren't right before God? You know that there's that conviction in you, you're just ignoring it. If you're doing that, you're in danger. Lord, Lord, call me Lord, but you're not doing what I've asked you to do. Maybe there's some things you need to get right before God. We'll give you an opportunity at the end. 
What about being part of God's family, the church, being an active part of his community? I know people are listening to this from many different places, not just this one. Are you being actively part of the community where you are in your local area as much as you can? I know it's difficult in this current season, but being part of that, plugging into that, working out what it means to stay connected as God's family, being prayed for, praying for others, loving others, serving others in those things. What about your workplace, however you were there? Are you working hard at your job and being the best you can? Because that's what Jesus would have you do. Whatever job it is you're doing, Whatever is your kind of vocation career, are you working hard at that? What about if you've got family, in terms of spouse, kids, parents, are you loving them? Are you serving them with best you can? Are you making most of every opportunity to build healthy, deep relationships with them? If you've got kids, particularly small kids, are you teaching them about Jesus? We're in a season now where it's all on you, parents because we don't have church. It was always on you anyway, but you can kind of cover it up when you bring them to church every Sunday. We've got fantastic kids workers. They go out, disappear for an hour. We teach them, we train, we love them. They have played games, all sorts of fun. That is all gone. It's just you. Are you taking the time to spare your kids, to pray with your kids, to teach your kids, to, to tell them about Jesus, to show it in your life? Because you can't give away what you haven't got. If you're struggling with that, we'd love to talk to you, help you. We put the stuff out online as much as we can to kind of feed that over. But it's, it's something that struck me in this season, actually. As parents, we need to do more uh, to serve our kids. If you've got kids, that's up to us. What about serving the community around you? We've got the doorstep carols, Mel mentioned. Other things, you're taking an opportunity um, to serve the vulnerable, socks and chocks, all those things. They're all part of Jesus' message to us i learned that afresh this morning going through the kids work with the children about the sheep and the goats and what it looked like to be a sheep and not a goat serving the poor serving the vulnerable what about our finances matt hit that last week about how are we living with our money what are we doing have you listened to the messages that have been coming through in this series and doing what god has asked you to do okay i'm going to finish there and i'm going to give you an opportunity to respond so maybe Maybe you just want to close your eyes for a moment. I'm just going to pray. Um, and then Matt and Phil are just going to sing a little bit. We'll join in for that. It's kind of just a way to earth it. But I just want to pray for you guys. And pray for us as a church. Pray for myself. That we be men and women who listen to the words of Jesus and do it to actually do it, not to be one of those people who says, Lord, Lord, and then goes and does what they want. Because the reality of that, Jesus said, is a very graphic image of everything coming to nothing. There being great ruin. And through this, the Holy Spirit, I pray, will have been speaking to you, nudging you on something. That is an opportunity for you to respond in faith. That is... God himself speaking to you, nudging you, Jesus himself saying, hey, this is the air, this is the highlight. I want to just talk to you about. So I'm just going to pray, leave a little bit of silence, and then Matt and Phil are going to kind of lead us in a bit of singing, and then I'll sort of pray to wrap it up. Holy Spirit of God, we thank you that you've been with us. We thank you, Spirit of Jesus, you're here amongst us even now with us thank you though even though we are scattered in different places different nations different parts of this nation lord you are with us and we are your people lord god i pray 
that you give us grace to respond to you now. Lord, for those who are feeling a sense of conviction over an area that they need to kind of sort out, Lord, I pray you give them grace to turn to you, knowing that you always forgive, you always draw back, just like the father in the prodigal son, he just ran and grabbed him up and said, I love you, I'm for you, come in. And we thank you, that's the welcome we can look forward to. Lord Jesus, I pray you give us courage to walk in your commands, to choose to follow your words and reject what the world may say. Lord Jesus, I pray you forgive us when we need forgiving and you give us grace to walk forward in you. I'm going to give you a little bit, just a moment now to, if you need to do some business with God, to do that and then uh, Matt and Phil are going to lead us in a song.